If you'd like to open up your Bibles, uh, we're going to be reading Exodus chapter 4. Uh, you can find this on page 47 in the Pew Bible. Exodus uh, chapter 4, and we're going to be reading verses 18 through 31. Exodus chapter 4, verses 18 through 31. Fire fades and the grass withers, but the word of our God endures forever. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Since the reading of uh, our Lord's word this morning. Let's pray. Mighty Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet. You have spoken it ages and ages ago, but it still speaks today. It speaks through your spirit. And Lord, as we come before it, may you help us to have to fall on our knees before you to render to you what belongs to you, to offer up our lives as a sacrifice to you. And may you work in our hearts, Lord, to trust you, uh, to grow in our faith, and to believe and to worship you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So there's a question uh, that Exodus has asked, um, but it has not yet answered it. This question has been asked in the margins, right? So it's not been in the spotlight, but there's a question that is on Moses' mind and it will be on Israel's mind. And here's that question. How far will God go? We know that Pharaoh, right? We know that Pharaoh's heart is going to be hardened by God. 
and that he's not going to let Israel go without a fight. So the question becomes, how far will God go to reclaim Israel? What is God willing to do to break Pharaoh's hold over his people? We've already seen in the previous uh, passage, the first part of chapter 4, that God holds power over life and death. He gave these signs to Moses, showing Moses, I am the Lord who can kill, I can turn a staff into a deadly threat, and then I can pacify that threat all for your good. If you are afraid of dying, you have no fear because I am the God who can resurrect the dead. So we know that God has power. But all these signs right, were not to convince Pharaoh. These were signs to convince Israel. Because there's Moses' objection that Israel would not believe. So we don't yet know what will God do in order to convince Pharaoh. How far will God go in order to reclaim what belongs to him? And the answer that Exodus chapter 4 provides to one answer to this question And in this passage, God reveals that he is jealous for what belongs to him. That he is willing to kill to obtain it. In fact, it seems that blood is the only way for God's jealousy to be appeased. God's jealousy demands blood, but through sacrifice comes redemption. God's jealousy demands blood, but through sacrifice comes redemption. So let's look and see how in this passage the Lord is teaching Moses and Israel this lesson. Right, if you remember the past passages and everything that's happened up to this point, Moses has time and again objected to God's call. God calls him and says, go to Egypt, go rescue Israel out of slavery, slavery and Moses says, no. God says, why? And Moses says, because, is what it boils down to. Because he doesn't want to. Part of it out of fear, part of it out of pride, part of it out of his own self-importance. But every time God meets Moses' objections, he teaches Moses that he has nothing to fear, that his pride is wrong. But these, these first few verses in our passage today, don't fill us with confidence that Moses is actually understood. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. Here's God showing Moses all these lessons and saying, go, I will be with you. Everything will, will be okay because I am in control. And what Moses says is he goes back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and says to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. Do you notice how Moses doesn't tell the truth? He doesn't go back to Jethro and say, God has called me and commanded me to go to Egypt to rescue Israel out of slavery, and I have to go. No, he says to Jethro, I just want to go see if my, my guys are still alive, to see if my people are still there. He lies. And so on the one hand, finally Moses is going. Finally, Moses is obeying the call, but we, all, we get the sense that it's almost a, a fine, I'll go, but I'm not going to be happy about it. Fine, God, I'll go to Egypt, but I don't need to tell anybody why I'm going. 
you get the sense that that even though he's going and obeying God's call, Moses, his heart is still not in the right place. He still is not fully submitting to God and to God's will. But he takes his family, takes his wife, takes his sons, puts them on a donkey, and they head off. But before they arrive, the Lord has, has one more thing that he needs to add, one more thing that he needs to tell Moses. And this is partly for Pharaoh, and this is partly for Moses. He says, the Lord does in verse 21, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let my people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, I will kill your firstborn son. So the question, right, that Exodus has has put before us, how far will God go to save Israel? How far will he go to break Pharaoh's hardened heart? Here's the answer. He's willing to kill. He's willing to take Pharaoh's firstborn son. Now, maybe you're asking yourself, now, wait a minute. How can God, at the one hand, harden Pharaoh's heart and then punish Pharaoh for having a hardened heart? Isn't that unfair? But here's what you need to remember. God isn't going to make Pharaoh sin. God is just going to use the sin that's already in Pharaoh's heart. We've seen throughout all of Exodus that Egypt does not want to let Israel go. They are too valuable, too useful. And they don't want to lose that. It would mean economic collapse on the one hand and a loss of power. So there's no way that any foreign ruler, that Pharaoh would ever let Israel go ordinarily. But we'll also find out that Pharaoh is an incredibly stubborn person. And God knows that. And God knows that Pharaoh is prideful. And he's going to use that. He's going to use the sin that's already in Pharaoh's heart to show that he, God, is willing to kill in order to reclaim what belongs to him. Because he says to Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son. Israel belongs rightfully to me. And I am jealous for what is mine. And in order for that to happen, the only way forward will be that Pharaoh's son, Pharaoh's firstborn, will have to die. So that Israel's first, or God's firstborn, Israel, can go free. Pharaoh's firstborn must die so that God's firstborn can live. And then we get to verse 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. If you were uh, to Google the weirdest passages in the Bible, uh, which I don't recommend, uh, and then theoretically, you know, you were to click the first result, uh, this passage would be number five on that list, hypothetically. And so you can see why, right? It's, It's so out of place. It's weird. We go from the Lord telling Moses, here's what you're going to say to Pharaoh, to suddenly the Lord is trying to kill 
we can only assume Moses. Here, God sends Moses and says, go to Egypt and and fulfill this purpose that I have for you. And before he even gets there, God says, oh, wait, I'm going to kill you now. It doesn't make any sense. It's weird and strange. And the passage itself reflects that. Notice how it, it doesn't really refer to people in the first person by their names. It says him. The Lord sought to kill him. It was dark. It's weird. It's almost like the, the wording of the passage is reflecting waking up in the middle of the night to terror and danger. It's confusing. And it seems completely out of character for God, at least on the surface. Why would God kill the one that he was sending to fulfill his purpose? Why has God seemingly changed his mind? But we're tempted, right, to either skip this passage or to start to doubt. But keep reading. Verse 25, Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. Everything's cleared up, right? Makes total sense now. Notice, notice why this passage is where, it's, where it is. That what God had just said to Moses concerning Pharaoh, it was not just for Pharaoh. That was also a lesson for Moses. God had just laid claim to Israel as his firstborn son and said that he is willing to kill in order to reclaim what rightfully belongs to him. And it's no coincidence that the next verse, God seeks to kill. It means that something rightfully belongs to God and his jealousy has to be appeased. And here's, here's the rub. With the Lord teaching Moses and teaching us that we cannot take God's claims lightly. And that Moses knew what God's claims were. Notice notice how Moses gets out of this. Zipporah takes a flint, a rock, and cuts off her son's foreskin. What this immediately tells you, right, is that the son has not yet been circumcised. And we have to assume, right, that this is Moses' firstborn son, Gershom. Gershom was not circumcised. And back in Genesis 17, what God said to Abraham was, this is the sign of my covenant, circumcision. All of the males in your family, from now until forever, or until God instituted baptism, but from now, they all have to be circumcised. Every single male. And if anybody is not circumcised, they shall be cut off from my people, because they have broken the covenant. And here we find that Moses' son, is not circumcised. What this means is that it's Moses has broken God's covenant. And there's a consequence. In failing to circumcise his son, Moses had failed to give to God what belonged to God. Later in Exodus, God will lay claim 
to every firstborn male, whether it was born to an Israelite or to an Israelite's uh, livestock. Every firstborn belonged to God. Every single one. So by not circumcising Gershom, Moses was withholding from God his firstborn. As we just found out, God is jealous for his firstborn. God is jealous for what belongs to him, and his jealousy demands blood. And so God seeks to kill Moses. Moses has no excuses, because God just told Moses what the consequences are. He just demonstrated to Moses, here's how far I am willing to go in order to claim what's mine. You have to take my claims seriously. Pharaoh has to take them, and Moses has to take them seriously too. But there's another detail. Uh, It's at the very beginning at verse 24. Notice how it says, The Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Because if the Lord wanted to kill Moses it would already have happened. The Lord could have snapped his fingers and Moses would have been dead. There is no way that God could have been halted or prevented from fulfilling what he needed to do. So what this means, right, is that God was giving an opportunity. God was opening up a sliver of time for Moses to have salvation, for the disaster to be averted. There's an opportunity, a window where God is only seeking to kill Moses. It's short. There's not much time. But there is some. And this is the same thing that that the Lord just did with Pharaoh, too. Notice that God doesn't just say, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and then I'm going to kill his firstborn son. No, he says, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and then you're going to go say to, to Pharaoh, let my people go. And if you don't, here's what will happen. It's the same thing. There's a a window of opportunity, a little sliver for Pharaoh to repent. And the same thing happens with Moses. The Lord's jealousy demands blood, but there's, there's an opportunity for repentance and for the disaster to be averted. And notice how... In that opportunity, there's an invitation for Moses to repent, but he doesn't. It's not Moses who acts. It's Zipporah, his wife. Not only does Moses fail to circumcise Gershom, but when God comes knocking for what belongs to him, Moses doesn't act. Zipporah does. Zipporah understands. And it's interesting that Zipporah is the daughter of Jethro, who has been called the priest. She was the daughter of a priest. She knew what needed to be done. She did it. She understood that it was Moses' failure to circumcise Gershom that led to this disaster. And so she circumcises her son. 
Now, circumcision can mean a lot of things. For one, it, it marked you as a member of God's family. But it was also a symbol of a sacrifice. It was also a, a, a representation that my son has now been sacrificed to God. In circumcising Gershom, Zipporah sacrifices him symbolically. And then it's the blood of the sacrifice that she touches to Moses' feet. And that is what spares Moses' life. In in, uh, circumcising Gershom, she says, he now belongs to the Lord. And when she touches Moses' feet with the foreskin, it's as if Gershom has been given to the Lord on Moses' behalf. It's through this sacrifice that Moses' life is redeemed. This is, again, the same pattern that God just told Moses in the previous verses. My jealousy demands blood, but redemption comes through sacrifice. Israel, my firstborn son, will be redeemed with the death of Pharaoh's firstborn son. It will be through the sacrifice of Pharaoh's son that God's son gets to go free. And it's with the sacrifice and the circumcision of Moses' firstborn son that he gets to go free, that his life is redeemed. That's the pattern with Israel and with Pharaoh that There has to be sacrifice in order for Israel to be redeemed. It's the pattern with Moses that there has to be blood in order for Moses' life to be redeemed. And this is the same pattern for us. I said at the beginning that Exodus 4 was one answer to the question, how how far will God go to reclaim what belongs to him? Exodus 4 says that God is willing to kill. But there's more to the answer. Yes, God is willing to kill, but who is God willing to kill in order to redeem his people? He's willing to kill his only son on the cross. That's how far God will go to claim what belongs to him. He is willing to sacrifice his own firstborn son so that you and me can have our lives redeemed. His jealousy demands blood. And God was willing to pay that price of blood himself for you. That's how you can be redeemed. And, and redeemed from what? Redeemed from whom? Or to who is the debt owed? It's to God. God's jealousy demands blood because you have sinned. Because you owed a debt to God. And yet he steps in on your behalf. 
we're supposed to see ourselves in this passage, not, not outside of it, looking in. We're supposed to look at Moses and see ourselves. People who are given an opportunity to repent, and yet our hearts are hard and dull, and we don't act. There's a chance, God, an invitation for us to repent before God and give to him what is owed, and we don't. Instead, we stubbornly tell God, no. Someone has to step in on our behalf. Just like with Moses, his wife had to step in on his behalf. And the same thing for you. Jesus Christ stepped in on your behalf and made the sacrifice himself of his own blood so that you can be redeemed, so that you can live. If you want a visible example, just look at this table. Look at the body and blood of Christ represented in the blood in the bread and wine. This represents the sacrifice of Jesus to redeem you from God's jealousy. The wine as God as Jesus' blood poured out on your behalf, a sacrifice made on your behalf to redeem you from your sins. This table declares that blood had to be spilled and God was the one who gave himself up. God was the one who paid the price. God stepped in and cut off his own son so that you can be considered sons and daughters of God forever. So that your lives will forever belong to him and no one else. So if you want to serve this God, take up your cross, die to yourself, and follow Jesus. Because it's the cross that says your sins are forgiven, your debt has been paid, the jealousy has been appeased, and now you can live to God and serve him. This is not the path of ease. This is not the path of comfort. This is the path of blood. It's messy. It's broken. Your life is going to look like a string of these little encounters with God. Many deaths to yourself. Many resurrections of God's grace. You will have moments like Moses had. Moments where you you come face to face with God. And walk away changed. And you will find that God is more gracious than you can imagine. That his will is perfect. And it's worth losing your life in order to gain Christ. I'd like to invite the elders now to come forward so that we can receive uh, the sacrifice of Christ. Please bow with me in prayer. Merciful God, we thank you for your word. 
and the reminder it is of both your holiness and justice, but also your tender love and mercy, and indeed how far you are willing to go to redeem us. And we thank you for the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, a visible picture of all these truths, a reminder that blood has been shed, that on the cross, Jesus sacrificed all to redeem us. And so may he be glorified and praised, even today as we continue to worship you. Amen.